We're going to gather around the Word of God. It's good to see us this morning. And as I'm worshipping there, I want to go back. I know this is Mother's Day, so I want to say to all uh, the mothers this morning, Happy Mother's Day. And you do a terrific job because uh, I have to be honest and put my hands up. I was speaking to someone just on Friday and it was around seeing them and I said, if it was up to me as a man, there would never be any children brought into the world. Not because I don't love children, but because men just couldn't handle what you women go through. And that's the truth. So ladies, uh, congratulations on all the hard work you do. And the Lord bless you. I have an idea this morning, and it's not going to be a Mother's Day message, but we want to talk about God's workmanship, how God works in each and every one of us, even as God works in a woman when she is expecting a little one. That little one grows and fashions and forms. We also want to look at that. How God is fashioning and forming something in us as believers, children of God. We want to gather around the word this morning, so I'll come up here. And let's turn this morning to the book of Ephesians, please. The book of Ephesians. Okay, let's go to the book of Ephesians chapter 2, please. Ephesians chapter 2. We just want to lift out a couple of verses this morning. And you remember that this is the riches of the new covenant that we're in. And this is part 9 of this series. This series could go on, as I said at the beginning of it, forever. For there's so much... In the cross. The new covenant that we read about in Jeremiah 31 and also Hebrews chapter 8. And then, of course, when you were to go to Hebrews 12, we talked about Mount Sinai where the law was given and we're not come unto there but uh, the company, innumerable company of angels and especially unto the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have the law and we have the grace of God for no man or woman is able to keep the law. So in that, Under the new covenant of blood, which Christ has shed in Calvary, you and I have so much, so much blessing. And that's what we want to stay with this morning. Let's just read a couple of verses. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, please. I'm beginning to read. Let's begin to read at verse. Let's just read from verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now take note who people are. As we're reading the scriptures, take note who you were outside of Christ and who you are if you're not saved. If you're not trusting in Christ alone. Notice who you were walking after. Verse 2. Where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. Remember the word according I told you about? Talking about according to the riches of God's grace. The word according gives the idea to control, to dominate, to press down. Kata is the word. Here is the world dominating the life of those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, if the world dominates your heart, now let me say it again. I want you to catch this. Christian, if the world dominates your heart and that be a bit of darkness in your heart, the Lord says, how great is that darkness? How much does the world dominate your heart? You know, if the world dominates your spirit, that is, the whole thinking of things, your your connectivity to what your desires are. If the world dominates you, how much is it dominating you? If riches is dominating you from the riches of the world, then where is God in your life? Or it could be sport. It could be an addiction. It could be the love of anything over the love of the things of God. The word according is, in time past, those of us who are saved walked past tense according to the course of this world. Or in other words, dominated by this world's system of things. And that's why Christians are to be distinct. They are to be separate. They are to be different than the world. Because we are not dominated by the world. We are dominated by the Holy Ghost. We are dominated by the things of God. We are dominated by the love of Christ. We are dominated by the grace of God. In other words, that and he directs and controls, dominates our very life. So what is dominating your life this morning? Whatever it is dominating your life, it will dominate you to where you miss out in God. It will dominate your life to where God misses out on your heart, as it were, on your love. So ask myself this morning, where in my life is being dominated that God is not dominating? Am I being dominated by my own desires? Am I being dominated by luxury? Am I being do- And there's nothing wrong with all of these things, by the way. It's when they dominate in the place of God. They become your God, and Christ takes second, third, fourth, fifth, or whatever place in the life. Where are we, and by what are we being dominated? Paul says that we were dominated by the course or the, the world system of things of this world. According, again, dominated by the prince of the power of the air. Who is the prince of the power of the air? The devil. The devil is the prince of the power of the air. And if he is dominating the world system, if he is dominating, in other words, the system that men and women are living in, the very banking system of the world, the world international bankers, that is dominating the world and that is not of God. Satan is dominating that. So what is dominating your life? Is your work dominating your life and the things of Christ are are, are paying the price to make way for it? Are your lusts dominating your life? Because that which dominates your life outside of God, nothing wrong with doing these things, but dominating the life means Christ or the Father is not dominating your life. And of course, when he is the, the controller of the life, he blesses you with more than you could ever 
bless yourself with. So here the prince of the power of the air is whom we were dominated by. I was dominated by him. You were dominated by him. But notice this. In verse 1 says, And you have he quickened. The Holy Spirit has quickened. That is, we were dead in our sins. The Holy Spirit quickened us, made us alive, and we realized we needed saved. We needed a saviour. We needed to be free from our sin. We needed to be free from our bondage of slavery. We needed salvation to come, to break every fetter, and to set us free from the prince of the power of the air. He dominated us. And the things of God, the things of God were not dominating us. We were dead to them till he made us alive. Now, Christian, if you're alive this morning in Christ, in spirit that is, in soul, then you will realize the dominating influence of God in your life. That's why we're told, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, does, does that mean that if you love things of the world, the Father doesn't love you? No, it doesn't mean that, which people may try and tell you that. No, it does not mean that. It gives the idea is love is a love called out of the heart according to the preciousness of the object that's loved. I've told you that many, many times, and I'll keep telling it to you. We all get it in to understand it. In other words, your children call the love out of your heart. Mothers, I see you with your children looking at them, and sometimes you're going, I'm going to kill you when I get you outside. <laughs> but you still love them. The love is called out of your heart. They don't have to do anything. They don't have to try. They don't have to do somersaults, and they don't have to buy you things and give you gifts. You see, you freely love them because they are your children. Just by looking at them, thinking about them, watching them at play, hearing their first words, the mother and the father, but here the mother looks at them with a love that is called out of the heart because they are the object that is precious to them. The child is the object that is loved by them. That is agape love. That's the real agape love. A love that is called out of the heart according to the preciousness of the object that's loved. Now, Love not the world. Don't let the world call your heart out. That's what it means. Don't let the world dominate the love of your heart. We're human beings and we can do things. We, can, we like to enjoy things and the pleasures that God gives us in life. And that's okay. That's fine. But when they dominate our lives, it takes the place of God. The idea is that we love it so much, we can love holidaying too much. We can love our money too much. Having money is not a sin. It's the love of the money. The calling out of the heart after the money. Where we work on Lord's Day instead of being in the Lord's house. Now there's people who have to work, nurses and doctors and so on. Talk about people who work extra to get overtime. There's those who will withhold from giving to God as well. But there's those who have in their own heart Things that are desirous more than the things of God. You can desire uh, uh, pleasures more than God. You'll desire TV broadcasts and programs more than Bible reading and study. And the Lord's saying, those are the things of the world. Take them and you can use them. But for, but for whatever you do, 
Don't let it call your heart out where it overwhelms you and dominates your heart. Love not the world. Don't let the world call your heart. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, it calls out his heart. The love of the Father or the Father, the love for the Father or the Father calling the love out of the heart of the believer. In other words, the love that you had for God. You know that first love when you first got saved? You know that bright and shining light, that lamp, that torch that was lit in your heart? You know that love that nothing was too great for you to do for God? You know that zeal and vigor and passion and unction that you had from the Holy Ghost? You know the brightness of your life and the spring in your step and the joy in your heart? You know that one where you just couldn't wait to be in the presence of the house of God? Do you know that love? That is the love we are to maintain. For God to call it out of our hearts. Alison and I were talking about a couple of things. Praying about a few things. Talking about a few things. She mentioned something to me and I didn't really... I take things on board and then I listen and I think and I pray about it. But I think that what she had told me, I went, okay, I'll listen to that. And I'll maybe bring a word on it sometime. And she says that she was in prayer about some things and the Lord showed her about the about apathy in the midst of the years. And she told me about these things. And I thought, the Lord showed her something here. I'm going to pray about this. I never told her that. I just, I take on board. And it's easy for that first love, like a mother with the child, like you with Almighty God. And God's love always burns for you. Always, but it's our love that doesn't always burn for him. Gary led us in the course about letting the Lord's glory, let your glory fall, about lighting the altar. The fire of God came down upon the sacrifice on the altar, but the priest had to keep it lit. If I was to say something to you all this morning, Three words. You know what I would say? Keep her lit. Keep her lit. Stoking up the fires. Taking out the embers and the ashes. Taking away that which is not of him. And loving not the things of the world. Yes, by all means, enjoy your life. But loving him first. Now, look at what it says here in verse 2. To the prince of the power of, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh. Notice the word worketh. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. See the word disobedience, you know what the word really means? To be impersuasible. In other words, when we are telling people your denomination, doesn't matter what denomination you are, whether it's a Catholic or church or the Protestant denomination, doesn't matter. Elam here, doesn't matter. You know your denomination will not save your soul. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. 
no matter how much we talk to people, unless the Spirit of God quickens them and moves in their life, it will not save their soul. They are lost. They're lost. In other words, they are the children of disobedience. They will not turn to God when hearing the word and say, I know that I'm a sinner in need of a savior, but oh, I'm trusting in this and I'm trusting in that, or I believe this, but I don't believe that. But the God of the Bible says that they are the children of disobedience. They are impersuadable. In other words, you cannot persuade them no matter how much you talk to them unless the Holy Ghost quickens them. But we're still to keep talking to them and living before them. So here's something this morning for the Christian. Christian, how are you before Almighty God in your love for him now? Position in Christ, you're saved. Your love for him, passion and zeal for him in the midst of the years has your heart waned from him. How's your love life? Now, I'm talking about between you and God. How's your love life? We're singing, I love you, Lord. Do you? It's not a condemnation. I'm asking you a question. Do you? Do you love him? Do you really love him? I'll ask you again. Do you love him? You see, the end of the day when all is said and done, it's loving Jesus, loving him, knowing him. You see, to know him is to love him. So to say to love him, I love God, do you? Do you walk in his ways? Do you trust in him with all your heart? Here we have people who are in disobedience. Look at verse 3 says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. In other words, you and I, Christian, are no better than anybody else. The only thing that is good in us is the Holy Spirit of God. That you and I were in, in the world doing all these things until he came in his lovely grace and mercy and called us by name. You and I were the same. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Notice, by grace ye are saved. Look, will you say the word grace for me? Grace. Say it again. Grace. Say it a bit louder, please. Grace. One more time. Grace. Grace. What is grace? For by grace are you saved. You're not saved because of the color of your skin. You're not saved because of your nationality. You're not saved because of your loyalties. You're not saved because of your church affiliation. You're not saved because of your denomination. You're saved by grace. Completely by grace and grace alone. You know what that tells you and I this morning? That there is absolutely nothing, 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 nothing that you and I could do, that you and I could try, where you and I could go 
to get right with God, but to the cross of Calvary, the new covenant found in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's grace. It is to receive that which you do not deserve. To receive that which we do not deserve. Unmerited favor. Notice this, verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Or is it again, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In other words, grace again, it's not of yourself, it's not of works, nothing you can do, it's all of him. It's all of God. And you and I must trust in the finished work of Christ. Notice that here's verse 10, our main verse. For we are his workmanship. Your life, your salvation, all who you are. Yes, in your failures and your faults and your fallings and your straying and your waywardness and your laziness and your, your wrongdoings, all of those things which we try not to live like, but we always end up feeling. He says, you are his workmanship. Christ is working in you like a baby being fashioned and formed in the womb of the mother. The mother does not know how the bones are knit together. And the mother isn't aware except for the flutter. She doesn't know how things come together and flesh is put upon it and sinews are there and the blood vessels start flowing and the brain forms. The mother just lets God do his work. The mother just lets God do what he does and what he does best. And he does creative things, creative miracles in the womb of the mother. And the mother gives birth to the child. There's creative miracles going on all around the world. And people don't even realize it. But also there's creative miracles going on in you at the moment. Yes, even the brothers. Not a baby now, as you know what we're talking about. We're talking about there's something being created in you this morning. Something being created in me this morning. You know what it is? It is the Lord. We are his workmanship. We are his and he has bought us with a price. God the Holy Ghost is within us. Fashioning, making, molding and shaping us to be like the son of the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants you to be like him. He wants you to be like him. And every day through trial and trouble and circumstance and situation, God's workmanship is within you. God has started a work in every heart. God has started a work in every believer. God has started a work in you this morning, brother, and in me this morning, sister. And that work which God has started, he will perform it. He will perfect it. And the work that he has started, not only in you, but in your life, he will bring it to pass. Do you know our God is already in your tomorrow? Do you know that our God is already in your tomorrow? Do you know that God is actually waiting for you and I to come out again tonight? Because there's no time limit for God. He is the eternal God. He'll be waiting for you when you're going to work in the morning. He'll be waiting for you whenever you're going to see the doctor or you're going to a hospital appointment. He'll be waiting for you for everywhere you go. He is there. He's already in your tomorrow. He is the great eternal spirit and he fills the heavens and the earth. You and I must spin on this ball called the earth around the sun 365 times to have one year. And we must wait on that time 
evolving around and coming around the sun. Year one, two, three, and so on. But God is already there. He's already there. He's already know, he already knows what his kingdom's like. He already knows what earth will be like when he renews it. He already knows what it'll be like when his son sits on the throne. For he already knew what you and I would be like in need of a savior. And before there was a sinner on the earth, there was a savior in heaven. What are you worried about, concerned about, fretting over? God already is in your tomorrow. Lord, see tomorrow when I get up. I have to go to this interview and I'm petrified about it. The Lord says, sure, I'll be there waiting on you. I'm going with you, but I'll be, in the, be there waiting for you. He's already got it all planned and purposed before you. When Noah and his family were going into the ark, it says God was in the ark because it says the Lord from inside the ark shouting out of the ark says, come in all thy family. The Lord was the first in the ark, yet the Lord shut Noah in. How do you work that one out? God was the first in the ark, yet he was the one who was the outside, shutting him in. See, he's inside and he's out. He's all around us. And in the new covenant, God has given us his spirit. And his spirit resides in you, believer. His spirit lives in you and dwells in you. His abode is in you. And as he is in you, then he is working in you. You are God's workmanship this morning. God will make you, mold you. He will take you and learn you and teach you things that you will have to come through all these circumstances, situations to see your own heart, but also to know who your God is. Now, if you and I were always living on the mountaintop, if you and I were always in the bright and beautiful sunshiny mountaintop, Where would you and I be then with God? Oh, it'd be great. We'd always be in in heavenly places and we'd always be in a good day. But you would learn nothing about the Lord because you know what happens? Whenever we get what we want, when God answers our prayer, we forget God and run away. We forget him and we turn away from him. So God allows valleys to come. You're going up and down, you're traveling, pilgrim and a stranger, going through this spiritual walk and coming into the valley, you realize it's colder here, darker here, damper here. I don't really like it down here, Lord. And then whenever you realize there's rough terrain to cross, you cry, Lord, where are you? And he says, I'm still here. Trust me. Trust me when you go through this. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. He says, trust me on this. So here we are, God's workmanship. I want to just finish where, and I'll come back to this next week because I want to look a bit more at the workmanship. But we finished somewhere last week, or we, we mentioned last week and one of our other weeks, a couple of verses. Ephesians 1 and verse 7. Ephesians 1 and verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So we've looked at that. The word according is kata. It's the idea of domination, speaks of control. That you and I have forgiveness only through the blood of Jesus and nothing else. And in these bodies until Christ returns, you and I will be subject, as it were, to our physical abilities. Now, whenever you and I feel and fall and falter, we go into a drunken stupor of condemnation. 
I want to say it again. I want you to listen to me. When you and I fail and we fall and we falter, because we all do, every one of us does, we go into a drunken stupor of condemnation in ourselves. I want to let you know this morning that this verse tells me that the forgiveness of my sin depends on two things. One, the blood of Christ, who has cleansed us from all our sin, and two, the grace of God. Grace abounding over our failures and our faults. Not that we walk in that open course of sin now, but when we fall and fail. In other words, that we, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace or according to the, the domination of God's grace. Do you know those times when you let the Lord down and you feel, no, oh Lord, I can't, I can't go on. I can't because I've went too far and I've, I've let you down, Lord. And I, I'm not a very good believer, Lord. I'm not a very great Christian, Lord. And join the club. None of us are. None of us are. The only thing good in us is the Holy Ghost. And whenever you get to that place where you're now going to your drunken stupor of condemnation, God has not given you that spirit, brother, sister. God does not want you to be condemned for there's, there, there's no condemnation in Christ. Rather, God wants you to come to him and talk to him and get up and walk in the grace of God learning from our mistakes, learning from where we have been, learning from what we have done, and the domination of grace oversees your lifestyle. In other words, whenever you have sinned in word, mind, thought, deed, or action, that grace will overcome your vilest of sin. Now really I meant to be preaching a few sin, God will leave you and forget, not forgive you and that's what people think I'm going to preach. Because if you don't preach that, people are going to live how they like. No, here's the thing. See, when you realize the domination of grace and love of God in your life, you will love him in return and follow him, not because you have to, but because you desire to. Because you want to. Listen, cattle are driven. You go up the country roads there and Here's the Belfast boy telling the country people what to do. And you get the wee stick. You're smacking the cows around the rear end with it. You see them? Well, not you, they are. And you see the cows running, they're driving them. But you see, especially in the Middle East, the shepherd was in the midst to the front of the sheep. Cattle are driven, sheep are led. Sheep are led. And God's sheep should be led by the Holy Ghost. And if you have to be driven to the things of God, then you need to re-examine, where am I with God? Did I really get saved? Am I born again of the Spirit? Now that's between you and God. I'm not talking about a mistake and fault, failure here, for we all do. So it's the riches of his grace dominates our life. And the last one here I want to look at. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 again, please. Verse 4, according as he hath, what? Chosen us. Could we all read that first together? Right, I'll start us off. According as he hath chosen us in him. 
before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. According to the domination of God's choice. Think about this now. If you're a child of God, Christ knows his sheep. According as he, the Father, hath chosen us in Christ. Wow. Get the power of that. Get the import of it. Get the strength of it. And you're a child of God and you're waning and weakening. You say, hold on, Paul. Are you saying that the domination of God's choice was that he determined to place me in Christ from before the foundation of the world, before I was born? That's what we're being told, yes. That we should be holy. What is holy about us? But the blood of Jesus washing us, the spirit of God living in us, and our lifestyles before God. And without blame, before him in love. Not before him in wrath. You're not before God in anger. You're not before God in wrath and anger this morning. You're before God in his love. Before the foundation of the world, God saw you, knew you. You were before him in his love and he gave you to his son. Does that not strengthen your heart, believer, this morning? Look, I could tell you a nice wee story that will tickle your ears, maybe get a giggle, but see whenever you go home and things really turn bad or you really feel down and you think you can't go on. See, when you get that, it's not, wee stories aren't going to, they're not going to help you. It's the word of God, the word of Christ dwelling richly in you that you will stand in prayer and you'll say, Lord, I can't remember all of this, but all I know is that I have failed you, but you still love me for your word tells me it and you will receive me with open arms and you will bless me that I am still before you in love. I'm unworthy. I don't deserve you, Lord. But you still love me for your word says it so I believe it. I've been so wrong, Lord, but your grace will cover it. Can you just get that this morning? You're before him in love. When you're eating your dinner, mother, this afternoon, we're going to close now in case you're wondering where your roast's going to get burned. When you're eating your dinner, you're before him in love. And God's doing a work within every one of us who know him. And that work within us is making us to be more like his son, holy and blameless before him in love. And as he loves Jesus, so he loves you. Now, if that isn't love, you see, we'll do an orbit next week on this, but the cross of Christ, the new covenant, the dying of the Lord Jesus, Paul tells us in the Corinthian letters that his son that we are saved even as he has saved us and washed us in his blood that word means kata down because of the cross it dominates the cross of Christ the work of Jesus the slaying of his son the giving of him his blood that was shed dominates 
I want to say it again. I want you to go home thinking about this, even in your struggling times. Every time you think God's wrath is on you, or God's fell out with you, or God is against you, or God doesn't want you, or God doesn't like you, or whatever. Listen, the cross of Jesus Christ, the blood sacrifice of the Savior, totally, completely, and utterly dominates the very heart and mind of the Father. The cross of Christ dominates the mind of God. All God sees is what his son has done. He sees him taking a guilty, vile, useless, hell-deserving sinner who was under the authority and power of the devil in the course of this world, like you and like me. And he sees him spotless and holy, harmless and undefiled, being separate from sinners. And he sees him bearing our sin and our sicknesses. And it dominates the mind of God and the heart of the Father. Totally dominates him. And so every man and every woman who are outside of Christ, who think that they will go with their works or their denominationalism or their ritualism or whatever way they think they'll get to God, they will come before him and God will say, the cross of my son and his work dominates my mind, dominates my heart. What did you do with my son? Did you receive him? For every man and woman who says, no, I never then they are the children of disobedience, still under the power or the domination of the prince of the power of this world, the devil himself. For God is dominated with Christ. And since he's dominated by what he's done, for all his wrath, all his anger was poured out upon Jesus, the innocent, spotless lamb of God. Oh, and men whose breath are in their nostrils and whose pride fill their hearts and whose minds are puffed up like balloons stand before God and they'll say, but I wasn't a bad person. I've done my best. The father will look and he will say, my mind is dominated because I gave my very heart, the darling of my bosom, I gave you my son and you've rejected him. Oh, you see how Important it is to be in Christ and accept the power of the cross. You see how important it is since his heart is dominated and his mind is dominated by what his son has done. And so is his heart and his mind dominated by what his son has done when you're in him. Heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents. And when you and I are in him, brother, sisters, when you and I are in him, The love he has for the one he gave is the love he has for the one who is in the one he gave. The love he has for you this morning dominates his mind and heart. You are before him in love. You're before him in love. God bless us this morning. Bless his word to our hearts.